The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not die, but will live forever. Holy Spirit, would you come now into our Bible study? And would you put the things that are on your heart on our hearts? And would you make us women and men after the heart of Jesus, full, led, empowered, and anointed by God himself? Thank you with all our hearts. In Jesus' holy name, amen. I'd like to start tonight, and I'd like to read to you from Isaiah 55, starting in verse 4, 3 through 6. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know and nations do not know you shall what shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for God has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Oh, sounds like Zechariah, does it not? Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than your ways and than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return void, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. We've noticed as we've studied in the book of Zechariah that God lifted up the people people of God in Zechariah. He lifted them up, the Jews, because they were to be the missionary agent of God for a whole world. And he entrusted him with the word of God. He entrusted him with the law of God. He entrusted them with, with from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Moses. He said, I've chosen you so that the whole world would have an understanding of who I am. And then they can walk in obedience to me. 
and they can walk in a more than obedience and a love relationship with me so that they are full of my presence and my glory. And wherever they go, there's this irresistibility because of the beauty of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit alive and well in my people. But we know as we started out in Zechariah, the Jews had not lived up to the missionary challenge. And so the Jews had begun to serve him, but then they had gotten in, they had lost their way. They decided to live for themselves. And so they end up in 70 years of captivity. And God is saying, once again, my intentions for you are the same as in the beginning. I want to use you as a carrier of your presence. Now, Cricket has in her office something she's going to show you right now. In this chapter, remember, there were four, a donkey. <laughs> and in this chapter today, we're going to talk about Jesus came on a donkey. The donkey was the carrier of the presence of the triune God, Jesus himself. Look at this little silly donkey that I got in a drugstore in Kentucky. Doesn't that give us hope, all of us? If God could use a donkey, there's hope for you, you, and for me. <laughs> <laughs> There's just hope. So I remember when I was in some of you've heard me say this before, but when I was that um, speaking at come to the fire and I got ready, we were in Purdue in Indiana in the music hall and um, I was getting ready to speak. And all of a sudden I thought, Jesus, I can't do it. It's just too much. And I sat there and I was on this front and I think I just can't. He said, well, do you remember Balaam's donkey? And I said, yes. He said, if I could talk through Balaam's donkey, surely you qualify. I thought, oh, well, that's helpful. Okay, I could do that. If you could speak through Balaam's donkey, there may be hope for me, like the one in Cricket's office. Mm -hmm. so, then, um, so then I sat there and I got up to speak. And as I was praying, I was saying to Jesus at the same time, I can't do it. And he said, Bethy, who carried my presence into Jerusalem? He said, a little donkey. It's not about you. It's all about me. <laughs> it's all about me. And the little donkey was so faithful. He didn't say, how's my tail looking? Or I wonder if my fur is nice or if I'm as cute as they all think I am. And they're all cheering for me. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's that incredible quote one time after I had cancer and I was getting ready to go to Indian Springs. And I said, gee, I said, went to my daddy. I've said this to you. They've been in this Bible study. I said, daddy, how will I do Indian Springs? And he said, Bethy, he threw his head back and laughed. And he said, well, the first thing is, he said, you need to nestle and you need to get your pronouns straight. It's not about you doing anything. It's all about Jesus. And that is what our lesson is on tonight. If Jesus can get every single one of us on this Bible study, so we begin to be instant obeyers and we begin to walk in the glory of his presence, God can begin to come and touch a whole globe for him because what he sees is there's an overflow and it doesn't matter. God can use the most ordinary and he can use 
the most average things for his glory and the ways of God, just like I read in Isaiah 55, they're not our ways. His ways are always better than our ways. So tonight we're going to find out how a trumpet, how a slingshot, how a donkey, and how a whistle come. God uses those things to accomplish his purposes. It's, and it's, I just love this stuff. Okay, I want to take, before we even get to Zechariah, I want to look a little couple minutes at Haggai to set the stage, because I want to know if we're ready as we go on into the rest of the book the next three weeks, are we instant obeyers? Are you? Am I? So it starts out in Haggai, these were contemporaries. And remember in Zechariah, the vision of the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah in the eighth month of the second year of Darius. But right here in Haggai, which is the book right before Zechariah, he comes in the sixth month, a little bit earlier, two months earlier. And, the, and it's in the reign of King Darius. And the word of the Lord came to Haggai and, he's, and the prophet to Zerubbabel, the governor, and to Joshua, the high priest. And the Lord said of hosts, we've heard that title before, the Lord of hosts comes to him and he said, say to the people, the time has not come. The people say the time has not come to build the Lord's house yet. They had been delivered from Babylon 16 years earlier. They laid the foundation the first year right away. But then they had gotten distracted. They had begun to do their own thing. There was opposition. There wasn't enough money. So they had gone on to build. They had gone on to finish what God had called them to do, which was to build the temple. 16 years they didn't. So God lifts up Haggai and Zechariah to try to address the situation. And he said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the time has not come, the Lord says, as you say, to build God's house. And the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, is it time for you to, to build dwell in your paneled houses? You all have houses, but I don't have one. Now, therefore, says the Lord, consider this. And what is they you want them to consider? You've sown much. You planted lots of crops. You bring in little. You eat, but there's no, more month than money. You never have enough. You drink, but you're always thirsty. There are unmet soul needs and physical needs in your life. You clothe yourself, but you're all still freezing. No one is warm. And you wear, earn wages, and the wages go into a bag that has holes in it. And they just go plink, 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 plink. And you don't know what happened to them. It is the law of diminishing returns. Because the people of God are living in disobedience. And Jesus says, in Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And the people of God weren't living that way. They had, they had backslidden, they had started out and they'd stopped. And he said, go up to the mountain in verse seven, bring wood and begin to build the temple that I may be, take pleasure in it and I may be glorified. You looked for much, but it was, became to little. What you brought home, I actually blew away. Because, why? 
because my house lies in ruins while every one of you has your own home. Therefore, the heavens withheld the dew, the earth withhold its fruit. I called for a drought in the land and on the mountains and grain and new wine and oil, whatever the ground brought forth for men to live and all the labor of your hands. He said, I'm sending a drought because you are not walking in obedience to the plans and purposes of my life. Are there any dry places in your soul? And as we wait upon God tonight in this study, is there any place God is saying to you, something's not quite right? Are you listening? Because do you know what the word of the Lord came? And do you know what obedience means? It means to hear and to hear and to act upon it. Well, he preached this sermon, Haggai did. And I have good news for you. <laughs> In verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, and all the remnant obeyed the Lord. Uh, do you know what? I have hearts all around that. I've got it underlined in red, obeyed the Lord. They obeyed him. They obeyed his voice. They obeyed the words of Haggai the prophet. And they, had, they feared the Lord. There was a reverential fear of the Lord that they wanted to walk in obedience to God. Remember in Proverbs says the beginning was the begin, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They feared the Lord and they began to walk in obedience to them. And the Lord promises his personal presence. He said, don't be afraid. I am with you. And then he stirred up the heart of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the heart of Zechariah. And he stirred up the heart of the remnant. I can just see it like we stir up brownies or we stir up cookies or supper. He stirred them up. He stirred them up. And they began to obey God and do what God had called them to do. He stirred them up. And they came. And they worked on the house of the Lord. Verse 14, the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day, this is June 1st, the sixth month, June 1st of second year of King Darius. And on the 24th day, 24 days later, they began to build the temple. The temple that had lain there for six years in rubble. I want to know today, are you and I doing what God wants us to do? This book so far in Zechariah says it's possible for us to get right with God, that he's for us. And that's what that song was. He's for us. He's for us. I, for us. He's for us. In every language in the world, he's for us. He's wanting to say he's for us. And he said, are you and I are going to believe the lie of the devil that God's not trustworthy? And are we going to be seduced like the harlot in vision seven who came to try to seduce the people of God so they wouldn't accomplish the purposes of God, but they would get sidetracked. And what's happening here is the people of God are beginning to walk in obedience and rebuild the temple. And God wants us to begin to walk in obedience and do what he's calling us to do. 
and he's got a plan for every single one of our lives and a purpose for every single one of our lives. And it is uniquely tailored fit for each one of us. And the next, what we study tonight will be some of the blessing that comes on the people of God as they begin to walk in obedience and hear his voice and begin to see actually what God wants them to see. Now, I want to tell you a story. After, remember, when I shared about Jesus filling me with his Holy Spirit in college, and God began to work in my life, and he did. Well, then God allowed something. He, he brought me to the place where he, he, he tested me, and he, put, he allowed circumstances in my life to see if I really would hear his voice. And um, so I was actually at Indian Springs. It's very important in our life. Down there, the first year my dad was the preacher, I had just finished my sophomore year. It's August. And so I was at Indian Springs and I was on, I was, and I was with another Asbarian that we've been dating. And I really did like him. And so we went to the state park and we're walking over the bridge there, over the little creek that's there at the state park. And Jesus whispered to my heart as clear as a bell, Bethy, this is a good man, but he's not the one for you. And it was so clear. Have you ever had that? I looked around to see where he was. <laughs> but it was in my heart. And I said, oh, well, I don't want to hear that, especially on this romantic night after the service. And ladies, I didn't listen. I was a little bit like, remember, when they put their fingers in their ears and they turned away? I hate to say it, but I did. I did. And Jesus had that still, small voice. And when you know him as Savior, when you've been with him, Filled with the spirit, you know that still small voice. And he said, this isn't right. You're going to hurt him and you're going to hurt the purposes of God in two lives because you're not walking in obedience. I didn't want to hear it and I didn't listen. I still went through all the outer forms of being a real Christian. But there was inner disobedience because it seemed too painful and I didn't like it. So it wasn't six months later, there was a winter revival at the United Methodist Church. And it was packed, there were 1,500 kids there. And I was walking back home. It was after the Sunday morning service. And the preacher had preached on Balaam. And Balaam is the prophet in the new, uh, Numbers 22 who didn't obey God. And he knew what God wanted him to do. And the Moabites came and said, curse the Israelites. And Balaam said, I don't, I, sure, I, 
hey, I'll do it because he wanted the money. God said, no, these are special people. I don't want you to curse them. I want him to bless you to bless them. And then they sent back, sent one delegation, he obeyed. They sent another delegation and he began to try to argue with God. Have you ever been there? I then spent six months shutting my ears and trying to argue with God. So I'm walking home for church after that sermon. And Jesus said to me, Bethy, you're just like Balaam. And I said, that is a horrible thing to say. He said, aren't you? And I got home and knelt down by the side of my bed. And I said, Lord Jesus, I am. You've spoken to me. I don't have strength to obey you. Will you be, will you do it for me, through me, and in spite of me? I will to do the will of God. Will you do in my life what only you can do? And through the precious sweetness of Jesus, of course, it was much harder six months later than it would have been earlier. But through the precious sweetness of Jesus, God enabled me to walk in obedience and not sin against him or not sin against that precious young man. And then God, very soon after, within the next year, brought in Al. And you never know what God has in store for you or for me if you and I will walk in obedience. And there may be some of us tonight who are just like Israel. We said, well, it seems too hard. And I don't know as I'll do that. And there's so much opposition. And there's more months than money. And we have a whole litany of reasons why we cannot obey God. God is asking for those of us tonight who say, no matter in Spanish, it's cuesta lo que cuesta, no matter what it costs, I will follow you. I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you. And then Jesus tonight, verse 9, says, for all of those obeyers out there who started to build the temple, that I just read about in Haggai. He said, I want to come and I want to bring blessing, the blessing of my personal presence that we talked about last week on your life, the blessing of my presence in your life. And I will, I will make right those who have sinned against you. And I will bring on judgment on the nations, just like I did on Babylon. And he did. And Babylon has never been resurrected. And then chapter nine is the burden of the word of the Lord that came upon all the nations that had harassed and, and, and fought against the people of God. Assyria, Tyre, Sidon, and Philistine village, Philistine cities, um, four of the Philistine cities right on the coast. There were five city states the ones right on the coast. He said, I will bring the judgment of God on those cities. And that is exactly what Jesus did 
in the Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came and he attacked Syria. Then he went down and he, and he did Tyre. They said Tyre was utterly impossible. There's no way anybody can conquer Tyre. It took 13 years for Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the land part of Tyre. It was the city on the, and the land. And then there was an island that was the citadel that was the one that controlled all the commerce and all the trading. And, he, and, he, and, he, and they said, there's no, it took 13 years to do the one on the land. Even the wall on the side of the island citadel of Tyre was 150 feet tall. And Nebuchadnezzar worked at it for 13 years. He finally wiped out the one on the land. But then the other one was impregnable. And Tyre thought there was utterly impossible for God to bring judgment upon them. They'd heat them silver like dust and gold like the mire in the streets. And God said, I will cast you down. I will destroy you and you will be destroyed by fire. And in 13 months, Alexander the Great took all the leftover rubble from the city state that was on the mainland, made a causeway. He penetrated that fortress and it was gone. And there's 177,000 that live over to the side, but that island nation is gone. Just like God said, there are consequences to our choices. There are consequences to nation's choices. There are consequences to people's choices, to church's choices, to community's choices. And then he just went down after that and he went down to the city-states of Philistia and he did the same thing, he conquered them all. But the interesting thing is Alexander the Great did not destroy Jerusalem. And it, because, according to Josephus, it's an interesting story. The high priest had a dream that Alexander was coming and that he was to get all the people to, to fast and pray before they came. Then he was to dress in all his high priestly garments. They were to wear white robes and to go out and meet him. And Josephus said that's what he did. But at the same time, God gave the dream to Alexander the Great as he was beginning to make this military venture down the coast. And do you know what? God said, don't touch him. There's going to man who's going to come out. He's going to be a high priest. He saw in his vision the people in the robes. And do you know what? He And the, all of Alexander's um, commanders around him were stunned. He said, no. He said, this God, I can't touch him. I've got to respect the God of the Jews. So, is, so Israel and Jerusalem were saved. In the, in the going down the coast. Are there any impossible situations in your life and mine? God is saying to the people of Israel here, guess what? I can take care. I will bring righteous judgment on a lost world ultimately. And I will do it even before the ultimate end of time. And I will take care of you 
just like in verse nine, I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall the oppressor go through you. For now I have seen with my eyes. And what did God see? He was seeing a people that were beginning to walk in obedience to him. Oh, the heart cry of God is tonight that he will begin to see a people that would walk in obedience to him and see his still small hear his still small voice because the whole world is waiting for just those kind of people. Then he says, rejoice. And here's our theme song again. Oh, daughter of Zion, shout, oh, daughter of Judah's son. Behold, your king is coming. He is just, he is salvation, he's lowly, he's riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you say, kings don't come on donkeys, but ours does. Ours does. And he comes to a people just like in the triumphant triumphant entry, triumphal entry, and he comes into Jerusalem meek and just bringing salvation. And this donkey was, had never been written, written on before, but the donkey was smart enough to know his creator. The donkey didn't, didn't, just did what he was supposed to do. He didn't give him any gas. The donkey sometimes is a little smarter than me. And he rode in and he said, this was a half a millennia before Jesus came. And Zechariah tells about Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is coming. And when he comes, he has a kingdom that's different than any they expected. He's not coming like Alexander the Great with power with our mighty armies, when God comes and when Jesus comes into your life and my life, what happens? He, he, he gets rid of the war in your heart and my heart. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. So the means of battle, I, the horse, the, the instrument of battle, the battle bow, the weapons of battle, because God wants to come. And when he comes to Ephraim, the people of God, it is possible for you and I to say, the battle is over, I'm yours and you are mine. And it's no longer a daily fight for who's in control. I'm all his, he's all mine. And I am listening to the voice of my beloved. And he says, and when Jesus comes, he speaks peace to the nations because the gospel is just like that video, just like my globe. It's not just for you and me or just for the Jews. The Jews will be the carriers of the presence of God to the whole world. Just like we as Christians today are to be the carriers of the presence of Jesus into a lost and broken world. I will speak and from the river and it, his dominion is from sea to sea to the ends of the world. And this is true. 
that God's the kingdom of God is across all barriers. He is the hope without borders, and his name is Jesus. And as for you, because of the blood covering of Jesus, God wants to put in our hearts a new covenant. And he doesn't want it to be an external covenant like the Mosaic covenant, where I try to keep the law. It's like Ezekiel 36 says, I will write up, give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will write my laws in your heart and you will, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when I come, I will, it will be a new covenant, the blood of the covenant. And it's possible because the blood of Jesus who died for us. And then he said, I will set your prisoners free. When Jesus comes, he sets us free. Free. He takes us out of the waterless pit. And he says, return to the stronghold. Who's the stronghold? Who's the fortress? His name is Jesus. And become prisoners of hope. You're not any longer the prisoners of hell. You and I become belong to Jesus and we become prisoners of hope. He is our Lord. He is our King. We belong to him. And even today, I will restore double to you. So even though we think we have lost, God says, I can restore just like the second vision with the horns and the, and the, the um, carpenters. He can restore Joel with the locusts have eaten. He's saying it over and over again because he's trying to get our attention and tell us how good he is. Then he said, and I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah, and I have fitted the bow, and I raised up your sons against your sons, O Greece, and I made you like a sword of mighty men. God fought for Israel. And if we walk in obedience to him, he will fight for us. Then the Lord will be seen, and the arrow will go forth like lightning. We'll see him. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. Then he will blow his trumpet. Aha. Look, I got a kid's trumpet. Oh, it's not very good. <laughs> Picture it. He will blow his trumpet. He's the leader. He will blow his trumpet. He will blow his trumpet because he's leading us. And in the battle against death and hell, God will be victorious. And he can be that in your life and mine. He will blow his trumpet and they will go before us and he will defend us. And he will devour and subdue the enemy with slingshots. Oh, my goodness. You don't beat the enemy with slingshots. And look what I have. I have cotton balls. Because I got this this summer when Blakey and Billy's kids were all here. And I said, let's act out Zechariah 9 and 10. And it was a great hit. I have a little donkey Blakey sat on. And then the girls all followed him. And then, they, then we blew the trumpet. And then we had slingshots. And then I got these so Blakey wouldn't put out everybody's eyes with real stones. And you say, Beth, you don't win battles with slingshots. Oh, but God does. God did it for David, and this is his greater son. Remember in 1 Samuel 17, five stones, a slingshot, and a powerful giant. And what did God do? He said, David, take that slingshot, and you've got me, 
and let's see what only God can do. There's no other explanation for the destruction of Goliath, but the power of Jesus in one little young man who said, I will follow Jesus, hook, line, and sinker. God can take the most ordinary mundane things and use them to accomplish his internal purposes. Impossible situations. That's what he wants to do for you and for me. Got any impossible situations in your life? Got any impossible people? <laughs> I have good news for us tonight. Jesus says, I, you can see me. I will go forth. I will blow my trumpet. I will defend. I will devour the enemy and subdue him with slingshots. And then it will be like they drink and roar with wine. And this is very funny. They shall be filled with blood like basins on the corner of the altar. And this verse, standard 15, goes back to the blood of the covenant. Because you know what was the mark of the people of God? The sacrificial lamb, symbolic of Jesus. His blood shed for you and me. And then the priest would have two basins of the blood of the lamb. And some he would sprinkle on the altar. And the other he would sprinkle on the people. So that as you and I go forward with the full presence of God in our lives, in a lost and dying and broken world against the power of the evil one, there is the blood covering of God himself, this lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. I want to know, have you been touched by the blood of the lamb and washed clean? And then when Jesus comes, and we have, it just gets gooder and gooder. He does. Then the Lord will save us. And he will save us like the flock of his sheep. Oh, look, I'm wearing another one of my sweaters. Look, all these little sheep, because look, he saved me, that I'm a flock and his sheep. And he said, not only that, but I will be, you will be jewels in his crown. And I don't have any jewels tonight. But just think, every single one of us is jewel, our jewels in his crown. And it's like there's a cricket jewel and a Rhonda jewel. And there's a Laura jewel and a Janini jewel because we belong to him. And, and it's sweet because this is what he picks up from Exodus 19 when he talks about the covenant. In Exodus 19, he said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure to me above all people on the earth. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And the Hebrew word there is Shabula. I want to know if you're his precious treasure, if you're his Shabula. If you're all his, that's exactly what you are. You are a precious treasure, a jewel, a jewel in his crown. And he's so excited, he lifts up a banner to just celebrate. To just celebrate. How great is his goodness 
and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine, the young women. He is our goodness. He is our beauty. He is our salvation. And he is our provision. Do you have needs in your life? Jesus would like to meet him if we'll let him. Then the next chapter is how he restores his flock. And he says, ask for rain. And all the nations around would ask for rain from their idols. He said, don't ask for rain from idols. They can't send you rain. Ask for me. Doesn't it sound like chapter seven? Don't fill your life for fillers. If you have unmet needs in your life, go to Jesus and just tell him and say, I have a need and ask Jesus to meet it for you. And he said, so he says, ask for rain. In the time of latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give showers of rain and grass in the field. He's the one that makes provision and sends the rain. And not only does he send physical rain, he can send rain like you sent to Elijah physically, but many times for those of us that are praying for a deep work of revival in our nation, we're asking God to send life-giving, soul-saturating, fruit-producing rain that sends revival. And then he says, idols speak delusion. Diviners tell lies. They give false dream and they comfort in vain. If you and I are looking to other places to get the inner needs of our heart met, there will end up in delusion, lies, false dreams, and, no, and lack of comfort. God says, don't look in the wrong places. And many people do look that way because they don't have any shepherds. And he said, I am the good shepherd, John 10. And they are in trouble because there are no shepherds. And the shepherds that have tried to lead Israel so far, they've been false shepherds and they have been like goat herds. But he said, the Lord of hosts himself will come and visit his flock and the house of Judah. And he said, when I come and visit my sheep, guess what I'll do? And look at this. This is a little fleet sheep hiding in this little carton. It even baths, if you can believe it. He said, I will take all you little sheep that feel afraid and think, oh, God couldn't use me. And God says, wait a minute. I can turn you into a war horse. And this is a Colombian brass horse and it must weigh five or six pounds. It is God can transform us. It's the transforming power. So you and I are no longer just hiding and say, oh, poo. And then and sticking our head in. He can transform us and make even me brave Beth. He can transform you and give you a new name and make you into a new person, a new woman, transformed by the power of Jesus and full of courage to be able to fight the battles of the Lord and stand against the power of darkness with Jesus and with others to say, I don't think the enemy is going to get my family. I don't think he's going to get my son. I don't and stand in the gap with God. It's an incredible privilege. It's an incredible opportunity. Has God transformed your life from a little tiny sheep that's hiding and turned you into a war horse full of the glory of God?
That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what else? He said, when I come, I can make that transformation in you. Why? Because I am the cornerstone. And he says it over and over in scripture. In Isaiah, Psalm 118, and in Isaiah 28. I mean, I have like eight verses here. Or nine, or ten of the is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. When we have Jesus, the fullness of God in my life, he is our cornerstone. He is our tent peg. What does that mean? He is the foundation for your family and my family, your marriage, my marriage, your relationships in my marriage. What happens when a breeze goes and the tent peg falls out? Do you know what happens? That happens, it crumbles. He said, I'm the tent peg and we can hold on and claim our families for God. Then he says, I'm the battle bow, so that when you and I go out to fight against the enemy, do you know what? He makes us into the battle. He is our battle bow, and he is the one that is the ruler of all the nations of the world. He's the one that rules the nations of the world, so that like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets, that the Lord will fight. And the riders of horses that come against the purposes of God will be put to shame. Oh, what could happen if you and I came together as women after God's own heart and men and begin to stand in the gap and say, oh, Jesus, would you pray through us the prayers that you want to pray, not only for us, but for our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, our world, until there would be such a difference because there is a unity in our heart, mind, soul's body. And that God could come, I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. You could put your name in there and mine. Every single one of us, it's a promise. I will bring them back, those that are lost. Our testimony from Karen Bryant last week, the ones that are taken captive and still in Babylon. You and I can stand together. And he said, and he said, I will bring them back. I will have mercy upon them. And they they will and I will and they shall be as though I had not cast them aside. I will restore the incredible restorative power of the presence of Jesus. And I will hear them. Do you know one of them, the marks? Two of the marks of love that I love. One is simple enjoyment. Jesus enjoys you and me. And our children know when we enjoy him. And my husband knows when he enjoys me. And I know when I enjoy him. I mean, it's, it's, it's the language of love, sheer enjoyment. The next one is listen. Do I really listen? And Jesus said, I will hear you. So make him your go-to place first. This is on my heart. I, this is, and let him be. I will hear you. And that and Ephraim shall be like mighty men, and in their heart they shall rejoice as if they had gone to a cocktail party. But instead of a cocktail party, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a very it's a very wonderful switch. And then he says. They will rejoice because when Jesus comes, all his sweetness, all his glory, there's an overflow of joy. And who does it affect first? Our children. 
they will see it and be glad and their hearts will rejoice because of what God has done in their lives of their parents, their family members, their aunties, our neighborhood children. They will have a pattern of what it looks like with someone who loves them and someone who doesn't abuse them and use them for their own personal ends. Then God says, I got, I'm so excited about all these people that are beginning to obey me and begin to put my interests ahead of their own and build my temple. He said, I will whistle for them. And this was a great hit with all of Billy's kids. God will whistle and we'll all come. He will whistle. We will come. We'll hear his whistle. Marilyn Beverly was telling me in Michigan that her daddy had a whistle, a special whistle that he would blow. And her she and her brother knew it. And minutes they heard it, wherever they were, they would run home to their father. And Jesus says, I will have a whistle and I will gather you all together to myself. I will redeem you. I will increase you. It's not the law of diminishing returns, the law of augmenting returns. Then I will sow you among the nations. I will make you a soul winner and a disciple maker. And so that people will see your life and see a reflection of Jesus like the end of last week's study. And they will run to say, I have heard that God is with you. They shall be remembered in, in far countries. And what in verse nine, they will live together with their children. And how does Malachi end up? The old Old Testament canon ends up with verse six, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children and the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers when Jesus the Messiah returns. God begins in the nitty gritty of human relationships in your life and my life. And God comes and he said, the children, they will live together with children. When Jesus comes, we can live together in Trinity unity and Calvary love. Is that your reality today? And I bring them back. I'll bring the ones that are lost. I'll bring them back from Egypt. I'll bring them from Assyria. And I'll put them in Gilead and Lebanon till there's just not, there's more than enough. There's not room to spare. Now this is also talking about bringing back the Jews to Israel in 1948, which he did. But it's also talking about what God wants to do personally in your life and my life. And then he says, when you pass through the sea of affliction and when the waves of the sea overwhelm you, I will make a way for you, Jesus, the Messiah, for you to walk through affliction and to bring down the power of the enemy. In this case, it was Assyria and Egypt. And I will strengthen you in the Lord and you will walk up and down on a daily basis in the presence of God. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ladies, what a happy way to live. Do you know I'm like that? Do you know I'm like that? He'd like to know you like that. I'd like to claim you as his precious treasure and his little sheep, that's all his. And make you what you couldn't even believe would be possible. 
and then even use you and me to be carriers of his presence to other places. And this song's through. I remember one of the stories that I love that I often heard, I a number of times heard my dad preach, Papa preach. He told about he was in four country churches in North Carolina. And uh, he said he preached his heart out. He, he, and he said there wasn't much response. And then one woman really who had been born again, but never been filled with the Holy Spirit, um, got filled with the Spirit, and her name was Margaret. Now, her husband, Tom, was not a Christian, didn't go to church, but Margaret fell in love with Jesus. Not by might nor by power. She was filled like our candelabra. Well, Papa and my mom were so excited. Well, Papa said after a while, would you like to teach the adult Sunday school class? Because she kept finding so much in the word that was so exciting to her. Oh, yes, yes. So she began to teach it. Well, all those church members in the church began to hear the word of God, not just a book about the word of God, but the word of God itself. And they began to come under conviction for sin. And they didn't like it. So instead of responding to God's call to know him and to love him, they decided to reject the messenger, which is just exactly what Jesus happened after the triumphal entry, only it was God himself. So they all got together and they complained and said, she doesn't teach out of the, our denominational literature. So she's doing something very wrong. And it's, she said, well, it's the Bible. Well, that's not good enough. It needs to be our denominational literature. So they had a big committee meeting and they voted her out of teaching Sunday school. She was heartbroken. So she came to Papa and she said, well, I need to leave the church. They don't want me to be here anymore. And then Papa was heartbroken because that was he was so sad. So God gave him wisdom. I think it may have been from Isaiah 11 too. Spirit of the Lord rests upon gives you wisdom, knowledge, discernment, and understanding in spite of yourself. And he said, maybe you should pray about it before you leave. Maybe Jesus wants you to go back to that Sunday school class and witness and just sit there and pray for the new teacher and pray for every person in the class, not only on Sunday, but all during the week. She said, they don't like me. I've known all my life. They've turned against me. He said, just pray about it. So she did. She went home and knelt down by her bed and, and Tom said, what are you doing? She said, I'm asking Jesus what I need to do, what he, what he wants me to do. Sunday morning, she got up. She went to church. She went into the Sunday school class. She sat down and she listened attentively and prayed for the Sunday school teacher that Jesus would come. She did for months. 
be there for two months. Every night she'd come home, kneel bound by her bed with her little prayer lips, go over, pray for mom. Tom got madder and madder and madder. And then one night, she was praying. Tom was already in bed. Tom got out of bed, knelt down by the side of her bed, but next to her, sobbing and said, how can you love those people who are so religious and so mean? And she said, oh, Tom, it's not me, it's Jesus. He loves them like he loved me just a few months ago before I could see, before I could see. And that night, Jesus let her have the desire of her heart. She led Tom to Jesus. And the next morning, Papa got to church was Sunday morning. And the elder of the church ran, runs out as soon as he drives in and said, what? And Dennis, 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 we have emergency, we have emergency. Oh, no, no, what do we have? What do we have? He said, it's Tom, it's Tom. And daddy goes, oh, I wonder if he's, what he's done. And then he's gotten saved. He goes, he's gotten saved. He said, there's not even a revival. It's not possible. He said, well, he has. Last night he prayed with Margaret by the side of the bed and Jesus came. And do you know what? It was the beginning of revival in that little country church. Even though it looked like everything had gone wrong and it was an impossible situation, but there was one woman who walked in obedience in a very difficult situation, and Jesus came. I wanna to know tonight, are you that one? Run up and down through the streets of Augusta, Georgia, or Alberta, Canada, or San Diego, California. Search through her squares and see if you can find one person who seeks truth and does what's right. And I can forgive a city. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come tonight? And would you let us be women after God's own heart? Full, led, empowered, and anointed by Jesus. Would you fill us with other-oriented Calvary love tonight? And would you let us be obeyers so we hear your voice and we walk in obedience to your call and that, Lord, we go where we walk with you. Oh, Jesus, remove the blinders from our eyes so we can see the sheer joy of living in the sweetness and the glory of the presence of God. In Jesus' name.